Good morning. You can have a seat. So in this series on moving on to maturity, today we are going to talk about how do you deal with difficult people? How do you get along with them? Yeah, I know you're just sitting on your edge of your seat waiting for this. Uh, I had the privilege this recently to uh, talk to tech support about transferring data from my old phone to my new phone. So the tech support was from another country, and the questions that they were asking, it was hard for me to understand that they had any point or that they were not demeaning. Uh, After a couple of hours of questions like, uh, have you restarted the phone? Have you plugged the cable in? You need to do a factory reset. You need to transfer the data again and again. And If there's something that uh, challenges my walk with Jesus, that would be it. Just put that there as an illustration for you to think about. So how do you, you know, I, I do empathize with uh, tech support people. Can you imagine every person that calls you is irritated about something and you can't do anything about it? And they're not going to listen to your simple instructions and the person you're talking to on the other end is always grumpy. Uh, Talk to uh, one tech support person here after uh, the first service and they said, you know, I found that if I'm kind long enough, they will change. It didn't work with me. Two hours. And then, and then ten hours on my own, I did fix it, finally. Difficult people. I imagine it, just asking that question brings back this flood of memories that you've been trying to forget. Or maybe some of them that you're laughing at, just as you think back on it. But we find those challenging opportunities, whether it's at work or at school, whether it's neighbors, maybe it's your relatives, maybe it's the friends, and worst of all, they have to deal with you. Even this uh, upcoming election, dealing with difficult people is the number one topic. I watched a couple of ads and I found out that both of the running mates, you know, opposition to one another, were both evil. Depending on whose <laughs> whose ad you were listening to, <clears throat> people are going to think differently. They're going to have different agendas, different ideologies, but they're going to stay around. You're going to have to deal with them. And fortunately, God's word has some things to teach us to help us grow in this area. In fact, Paul, you know, if he could write a book on that one topic, he could just fill pages and pages of all the experiences that he went through in his own life as he dealt with difficult people. So he's allowing Timothy to receive some practical advice. And ultimately, here's what he says to Timothy. Jesus can change you. And he might use difficult people to do that. 
Instead of reading the text ahead of time, it's quite a, a, a challenging text to look through, so we're going to read it a piece at a time and, and uh, go through it that way. So point number one in Jesus' process of teaching you is he can change your perspective. He can change your perspective. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, 1. It says, but understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Big surprise, shock, newsflash. There will be difficult people, difficulties, because we're all going through things. Whether it's sometime in the future, whether it's your present situation in life, our lives aren't easy. And neither are the other people that we are going through them with. I was learning some things about difficult people as I was talking to a friend of mine. His name is Justin. He was an inmate at Lionel Lakes. And he said that none of the people at the prison wanted to be there. (laughs) Even the guards, they had to pay him to stay. But... I said, so how do you deal with this? And he said, oh, I just look at them like sandpaper. Sandpaper. Yeah, they're just rounding off the rough edges of my life. Like, hmm, Justin, I could learn a few things from you. You know, if people are feeling pain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain or experiences they've gone through, it's going to come out somewhere. Whether it's words or actions, and it might be directed at you, regardless of what it is, where people come from, and what's going on. Notice what it says in verse 1. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. It doesn't say how long those last days are, because the point is on the type of days. It's the difficult days. And so if we're going to understand people as they go through difficult days, we need to step back and get a different perspective. We need to look at them from what's been going on in their own lives. Why are they responding like this? What is it that is causing them to have that type of reaction or response? Maybe then stepping another step back, looking at them from Christ's perspective. Here is a person that God made intentionally and loves, even willing to die for them. They are sinners in need of a Savior. Even stepping back further, looking at it from the perspective of the last days, looking at it from an eternity perspective. You know, the thing is that we get so myopic, so focused about, are so minimal in comparison to eternity. All of what is ahead of us. If we can stop and get a different perspective, it will change us. It'll change, it starts by changing our character. So point two, Jesus can change your character. Some of you might 
Don't nudge anybody nearby as to whether their character needs to change. Paul gives a list here. I mean, this list is intense. Listen to what this says here. Chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Who's the first person that comes to your mind when you listen to that list? Don't, don't say their name out loud. Maybe it's a list of people. Do you ever think about who Paul was writing this to? He's writing it to the church in Ephesus. Timothy is the pastor of this big church in Ephesus, and here's the people that Paul's describing. The text is written to you and I. Difficult people who need Jesus. And then I also think about Paul as he writes this. How did he perceive himself? Is he up here looking down at somebody else? And what he said in 1 Timothy... One first, uh, chapter 1.15, Paul says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Before he pointed any fingers at anybody else, he could see himself in that list. So the question is really, do we see ourselves in that list? I mean, that's a pretty intense list. And maybe another part of that question is, do you see who you used to be or who you are now? Or maybe some of both. Christ can change your character. And he uses difficult people to do that. Interesting statement at the end of verse 5 says, avoid such people. That's a kind of big statement. So how are we supposed to stay away from the people that are all around us? Our world is filled with them, and even when we look in the mirror, how are they going to hear the gospel? How are they going to be changed if we stay away from them? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. So the point that Paul is saying is to avoid being influenced by these people. Avoid becoming like them. Even when our own character is the attitude that we need to stay away from. Christ can change your character, and to do so, he uses his truth. His truth is the basis. Point three, Christ can change your basis of truth. 
Another interesting scripture here, it says uh, in verse 6, For among those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in their mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. Now, Janus and Jambres, uh, you're not going to find their names anywhere else in the Bible. But those outside of the Bible, those two men are the magicians who were in Pharaoh's court when Moses goes to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so they come up with all of these fake tricks uh, to disprove the miracles that God was doing through Moses. And the bottom line is that Moses did not have to defend the truth. God was very capable of doing that. He did it ten times, if eleven if you want to count the Red Sea. When you stand on God's word and on his promises, you don't have to argue. You don't have to convince people. It's not your job to protect God's word. He's done all that he needed and he will do so again. And verse 9, they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. Another interesting thing about this, this uh, verses 6 through 9. Who would ever guess that the term creeper would be first found in the Bible? Or what about verse 7? Always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Does that not describe our world? We, we crave knowledge. We seek it after. We worship it sometimes. And yet, we can't even agree on what is truth. And if you say that Jesus is truth, then you might be perceived as a difficult person. The power of God's truth shows up when it changes lives. When it works on people from the inside out. It even changes people to redirect their lives. Point four. Jesus can change your direction. Here's another interesting text. As Paul, who is not prone to talk about himself, says... To Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Interesting that Paul draws in t- attention to himself 
and all of how his life had been, when in Timothy's first letter, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says he was the worst of sinners. So how do you compare these two? How do you put these two together? Worst of sinners and follow my example. And the answer is that Paul had been moving on to maturity. He had been one way. He met Jesus. And now he was different. And it was obvious as he faced the, all of these situations, instead of being the persecutor, now he was the persecuted. Instead of following the law, now he was following Jesus. Instead of putting down and finding and displacing the, the, the way or, or the gospel, now he was proclaiming and he was spreading the gospel. Everything had changed in Paul's life, his teaching, his conduct, etc., etc., as it describes. And he was moving on to maturity through all that. Instead of being controlled by difficult people, he loved them. Instead of living in fear of persecutions or what might happen, he had confidence knowing that God was there and he would rescue him even as he had. The fifth point is that Jesus can change your goal and that's what happened to Paul. He had one purpose for life, but then his life changed. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Boy, I tell you, this sermon just keeps getting better and better. You know, we, we do wish our lives were easy. We do wish that we didn't have to go through trials and all of the struggles. We don't like persecution, opposition, attacks, especially when it has to do with those biblical values that we hold so dear. But the question we have to ask is, what is our real goal? It is through the persecutions, the difficulties, the challenges that we grow. We are stretched. And the things of this earth that we would otherwise hold on to lose their value. And we find that only Christ gives us anything of lasting worth. This uh, November 6th, a couple days before the election, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I marvel at the stamina of those. We get a magazine every month from Voice of the Martyrs, and every month they, they highlight a different country. A couple of months ago, they had the country of China. And in there, they highlighted uh, these pastors that had been in prison over and over again. Some that were still missing, how their families were responding. Following Jesus faithfully in the midst of all of the trials they had faced. 
In fact, their attitude towards prison was that it was the training ground. It was their seminary. The thing that had changed in their lives was their goal. They didn't care about the things of this world like we can get caught up in. They cared about knowing Jesus, loving Him, being loved by Him, walking with Him through all of the difficulties they faced. Of course, there's the future reward, but for somebody that's in the midst of persecution, it needs to be a daily a daily experience of God's grace. This afternoon, we have the privilege of having an ordination for a Christian uh, Chinese church that we support here at Emmaus. It's a church plant that we are doing through our, our ministry here. And uh, their pastor is a dear friend of mine. I've been walking with him and mentoring, or however you might describe it. I think it's a both-way type of uh, thing, things I might do to help, but he's also the one teaching me. Anyway, he's having his ordination at 4 o'clock this afternoon. You're welcome to join. And he talks about, he and his friends in, the, in their congregation talk about the trials that they faced over in China. as just a normal, that's just part of life. And he would love to go back. But as a seminary trained man, he would put his family and all of his relatives in danger if he did that. You know, the question isn't whether we're going to face hardships. The question is, how is God going to use them to mold and to shape us? The problems that we face don't need to define who we are, but they can be tools in God's hand and Jesus' hand to change our perspective, to shape our character, to give us a different basis of truth to lead us, to change us into being godly, seeking after God. Do you notice that all of these items are having to do with you, not somebody else? You know what's really amazing about this whole topic is that Jesus intentionally chooses to work with difficult people. He chooses to work with us. Maybe the difference between difficult and delightful is Christ alone. Look what he did for us. He came down from heaven to give us his perspective. He lived to serve us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself the truth so that we could know personally, intimately, that truth. And he led to the cross. He was persecuted, willing to die for difficult people so that we could know him. Our goal in life would be above the things of this earth. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we, we do appreciate, treasure, value what you are doing. And we recognize, Lord, that there's a lot that you need to do inside of us. And at the same time, maybe we can also see your work in progress. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mold and shape us according to your image, into your likeness. To give us your perspective. To shape our character. To to base our life on your truth rather than this constant pursuit of new things that never satisfies It's a little difficult, Lord, to say we want you to lead us because we know where you're leading to the cross. At the same time, we don't want our focus of life to be the things of this earth. We want to follow you, even though it may be difficult. And I pray, Lord, that you would be changing, transforming us from the inside, we pray this in your name. Amen.